Hi everyone, this is Christian Weatherford. And this is Ellen Weatherford. And you're listening to Just the Zoo of Us, an animal podcast. Not just any animal podcast. We are, I would say, the animal review podcast. Yeah. We rate your favorite animals every other week. Out of ten. In three categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. (laughs) So Christian has been out of the game for a minute. (laughs) There's been a lot going on in the Weatherford family. Uh, Christian's been very busy. I've been very busy. We're getting ready for a baby. This very well could be the last episode that we record together this year because the baby could kind of be here at any minute now. So I hope I don't go into labor during this recording. It'll be a great reminder memorabilia (laughs) (laughs) i would put the episode up like that i I would just leave it i'd let it fly we are not zoological experts not even a little bit no but we do a lot of research we're very passionate about the subjects we are we're big fans yeah love aminals well this week i am talking about an animal that was selected democratically via poll that went up on our social medias on uh, Twitter as well as in our Facebook group. Two weeks ago, though. Yes, it was two weeks ago. Yeah, we did back-to-back guest episodes, which we don't normally do, but we're about to a whole bunch um, because once the kiddo gets here, (laughs) nothing but guest episodes for the rest of the year. (laughs) Y'all told us that y'all wanted to hear about the hagfish. Perfect. And what did it went up against? The lamprey. Okay. They're closely related, Oh, which I'll get into in a minute. Very good. Yes. So another name for hagfish is slime eels. I like it. Mm-hmm. There's not just one type of hagfish. There's many. Sure. So rather than listing a specific scientific name for them, I'm just going to say they belong to the class Mixini, M-Y-X-I-N-I. That's nice. Does sound really nice. It sounds like a Pokemon, doesn't it? Does. It? Yeah. it has a really nice sound to it. <laughs> a fairy type, right? <laughs> it sounds like pixie almost. <laughs> oh, this sweet. is not a very fairy type animal, if mm-hmm. I remember. No. <laughs> <laughs> right before I get started, the information that I have gathered today, I got uh, largely from the Aquarium of the Pacific, hmm. and also from a bunch of other random studies that I will cite as they come up. Okay. Yep. So if you don't know what a hagfish is, it looks like an eel, Mm -hmm. hence their nickname, slime eels. They're not eels, but they look like them. Why is it half of everything that's called an eel is not an eel? Because really, like, (laughs) up until we started figuring out how to figure out what stuff was... We would just like be like, okay, well, it's long and it's in the water. (laughs) It is long, it's in the water, and it looks kind of snakish, like no protruding limbs and stuff. Eel it is. Okay. (laughs) I know we've talked about like three different things that were called eels, and only one of them so far was an actual eel. (laughs) This is among the not eels. Mm -hmm. So they're long. They don't have any like limbs sticking out. They're very snake like. Mm -hmm. Uh, No fins poking out of their body or anything like that. Um, At the front of their face, they have these four pairs of little bitty tentacles um, that just kind of stick out around their face. And their body is mostly like round cylindrical, but then the tail flattens into this like vertically aligned 
paddle shape. Mm-hmm. But you see this a lot with like eels and knife fish and sea snakes. Yeah. Like when you talked about the sea crate, very similar to that. Their adult size ranges a lot since this is a few different types we're talking about. So they're typically around a foot and a half long for most species of mm. hagfish. The largest hagfish ever recorded was called a goliath hagfish. Mm. Eptatritus goliath is the scientific name. And a specimen was documented at four feet, two inches long. That's a big one. That is 1.27 meters. Yeah. Big, 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 big hagfish. Mm-hmm. And... After all of the things I'm about to tell you, you'll probably be very thankful that you did not come across this four foot long hagfish because <laughs> I would not have enjoyed that. So hagfish are bottom dwellers. Mm-hmm. You'll find them at the ocean's floor in pretty deep waters, but none of the sources that I found agreed on their depth ranges, <laughs> probably because they were all probably talking about different species of hagfish. Yeah. But I'm just going to say that you probably won't find them super close to the shore, but they like to chill out at the bottom. That's pretty much where you're going to find them. So the class of Mixini contains 76 known species of hagfish. That's a lot. I mean, that's not like that many when you think about it being an entire class. This is like a very high taxonomic ranking. It's true, but I guess when I imagine what a hagfish looks like, I have a hard time thinking of 76 different ways for that to look. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I feel that. I feel that. So hagfish and their relatives, lampreys. Mm Mm-hmm belong to a clade called agnatha so these are jawless fish hmm. these are fish with no jaw at all how'd they bite though i will talk about that <laughs> that's coming so what's really interesting about the jawless fish is that they split apart from the rest of the vertebrate lineage mm-hmm. before hinged jaws or paired limbs mm. start to like show up in the picture. Okay. So they split off way, way, way before then. So that basically sets them apart from all of the other vertebrates. So bony fish, cartilaginous fish, like sharks and stuff like that. Yes. And then of course, you know, like reptiles, mammals, birds, stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. all of the vertebrates are separate from the jawless fish, but they're still vertebrates. Hmm. So what is really tricky about them is that they were originally classified as invertebrates because Hmm. they don't have backbones. Oh. Like, you think that tracks, right? No vertebra, no vertebrate. Like, (laughs) if you're thinking of like, oh, yes, a spine is what makes it a vertebrate or not, then not having one reasonably would put them outside of that category. So the original assumption was that since they lacked vertebra but had these other morphological similarities to lampreys which do have vertebra so hagfish had a lot of similarities with lampreys but not those backbones so for the longest time people just kind of assumed they were in this sort of evolutionary transition between invertebrates and vertebrates Mm. that like the hagfish just never got that far in (laughs) developing their backbone and the lampreys just took it a little bit further and developed the backbones and so like it looked like that was the little gradient into developing vertebra turns out (laughs) that's not what happened so in more recent years genetic studies ended up showing that actually it's more likely that they shared an ancestor that did have vertebra and the hagfish lost them over time. Okay. So at some point they did have a backbone and then we're just like, nah, 
<laughs> we're actually good like we don't actually need it that bad and they got rid of it i mean it makes sense i guess like what to support what exactly? <laughs> well, I'll talk a little bit about how this kind of helps them. Sure. Um, so maybe some reasons why they would have wanted to shed that backbone. Mm-hmm. Um, but so very weird, <laughs> very strange. So what's cool is that they have a skull. Mm-hmm. It's just not attached to his spine. Very interesting. Very strange. So if you're really like interested in the nitty gritty of all this stuff, there's a really good paper explaining it. And it's called Evolutionary Crossroads in Developmental Biology Cyclostomes, which is lamprey and hagfish. And that is by Sebastian M. Schimmeld and Philip C.J. Donahue. That's the paper that I read to sort of (laughs) piece all of this together. Um, So if you want more details about that, you can go read that paper. It's quite good. Hmm. So that's a little bit of background on the hagfish and what it is and why it is kind of, I suppose, evolutionarily important. This brings us to our ratings. All right. For the hagfish. I know this is what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if this is your first time listening to this show, we rate animals out of three categories. And the first one is effectiveness. And that is physical adaptations that let an animal do a really good job of the things that it's trying to do. I'm giving the hagfish a nine out of 10. Wow. So hagfish are known for this one thing in particular that they can do. Do you know what it is? I think so, yeah. What do you think it is? Is it mucus related? It is mucus related, yeah. (laughs) So they produce copious amounts of slime, Mm -hmm. like Nickelodeon levels of slime. Yeah, Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's a lot. So the way that they produce this slime is really cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you look closely on a hagfish's body, all along the sides of its body are these little pores. Mm-hmm. They're like tiny little holes that like perforate the side of the hagfish. And inside each pore is this little very tightly coiled protein thread. It's this long string of proteins that's all coiled up really tight, kind of like a skein of yarn okay okay so if you think of like a really tightly coiled ball of yarn Mm -hmm. so when the hagfish is threatened or bitten or something is happening where the hagfish is like oh no i gotta get out of here it can release those protein thread coils which then when they make contact with the seawater they rupture so imagine that you took like a knife or Mm -hmm. a box cutter and you just sliced it into a ball of yarn okay it's gonna explode and go everywhere right yeah yeah. so that's what happens <laughs> so these little protein strings just go haywire like they expand and they fly all over the place and they like bind with mucus that the hagfish has produced and uh expand in the water by thousands and thousands and thousands of times yeah and then they tangle up with each other like the little protein threads get tangled with each other and that makes them really thick Mm -hmm. and they get sticky so like they can like stick to the surfaces of other things that they get caught on it's both an unpleasant deterrent, <laughs> right? Like, it's gross. Like, you go sure. to take a bite out of something and, oh, my God, it just snotted all over me. Nasty. <laughs> but what's really kind of a step further is that it can also get into the predator's gills. Yeah. And it clogs their gills and they can't breathe. Mm-hmm. So it can even kill a fish. Like, it can kill a predator that's trying to eat the hagfish. <laughs> and then the tables have turned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then guess what? <laughs> <laughs> now the hagfish has a meal. Yes. 
so an, another thing that helps them like escape from predators yes. is that so when you look at a hagfish's body it looks kind of icky because it's totally smooth there's no scales right. on the body it's just this like loose flabby sort of bare skin almost it's not cute <laughs> right but you know you look at it and it's it's loose and it's baggy there's no scales you might think that like well that's weird they have no armor basically like if a predator just tried to bite into them and just be biting into the soft skin it would be like an easy bite so that skin over its body it doesn't connect to the body in very many places mm -hmm. so there's just a lot of slack in their skin oh there's like no tension to it huh yeah so if a predator goes to bite the hagfish there's so much slack in the skin that the teeth can't really connect with the body of the hagfish because of how loose the skin is and it lets the hagfish swim away huh yeah it's kind of like a taut rubber band versus a loose rubber band like when you're trying to cut one right yeah like if you tried to take a knife yeah and cut through a rubber band that had no tension to it you just be cutting air basically like you wouldn't get anything done <laughs> sure but you stretch it out and yeah you can you can slice right through it it's no big deal mm. so yeah having that like completely slack skin helps them not be punctured it's like that one dog but to the extreme what dog uh, the the raisin dog hairless dog are you thinking of the sphinx cat no that dog that has a whole lot of skin that's meant to make it so other dogs can't get a hold of it. Very oh, well. like Sharpay. Yeah, just like to the extreme of that. Mm, I see what you mean now. <laughs> yeah. The skin reminds me a lot of a Sphinx cat because it is that kind of like, you know, yeah. it's yeah. wrinkly and there's not anything over it. So it kind of looks like that sort of te texture. I think I would prefer the hagfish. <laughs> You're so mean. <laughs> I like Sphinx cats. I got that information from this article called Loose Skin and Slack Volume Protect Hagfish from Shark Bites. Uh, and that is by Stacy Nagai at Chapman University. And wh while I was reading this, like thinking about how, yes, maybe their hide is not necessarily tough to mm. prevent punctures, but like the looseness lets them escape quicker. It made me think about how in D&D, &D, your AC is determined not just by your armor type, but by your dexterity score. Yeah. So, like, if you have a high enough dex, you can still have a really good AC, even yeah. if you're wearing trash armor. Or none. Or none. That's essentially <laughs> what they're doing. They have no They have no armor, but they've maxed out their dexterity. Uh, the monks of the deep sea world. <laughs> <laughs> so very, very interesting that they do that. For the mucus thing, I have memory of a, it might have been a Discovery Channel show or an Animal Planet thing where they're basically turning the water around them into this mucus, right? Like. I remember a, a thing where they put one of these things in a bucket of water and it pretty much turned the whole bucket of water into a bucket of mucus. Oh, yeah. So, like, that's what I meant by, like, the protein threads, like, react yeah. with the seawater and yeah. binds it to it. Mm -hmm. So, like, it just kind of thickens up in the water around mm. you. But, yeah, they can produce ridiculous amounts <laughs> <laughs> of slime. <laughs> it's kind of the thing they're known for. Yeah, they're very yeah. good at it. One thing about hagfish, I, maybe the reason that I took off a point they have very 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 simple eyes um the types of eyes that can really only detect like the presence or the absence of light okay can't form images they can't really see stuff too well of course i will also say that yes 
living at the bottom of the ocean, they probably don't need to see that good anyway. Like, it's not that big a deal. Yeah, and especially the kind of things they're looking for, so... Yeah, so they have really well-developed senses of smell and touch. Um, that's what they use those little tentacles at the front of their face yeah, for. Yeah. Um, they're picking up chemical signals, and they're picking up vibrations around them, and they're just really good at you know navigating in the dark mm-hmm. and getting to all the stuff that they eat. I'm going to give a quick little content warning that the next part's a little bit yucky. I mean, I guess I should have said that at the top of the episode because we're talking about hagfish. But this particular part is gross because I'm going to talk about their feeding habits and their mouths. And it's really nasty. So if you don't want to hear about it, um, maybe just skip ahead a couple minutes. Okay, so living at the bottom of the ocean, they they do hunt things. They hunt live things sometimes. Sometimes they'll hunt like fish and invertebrates and worms and stuff like that. But they're largely scavengers. Mm-hmm. So they eat dead things at the bottom of... So like an, an animal dies and it falls to the ocean floor. Here come the hagfish, like in droves. Yeah. Tons of them will come out and, and wiggle their way over to this carcass that has fallen on the ocean floor. So they do this by... <laughs> they eat the carcass in a really nasty way. This is where it gets really gross. I'm sorry. They use their mouth to burrow, which is what they're very good at. They burrow inside Mm -hmm. of the carcass and they start there. (laughs) They start on the inside parts, which are soft and squishy. I also saw somewhere that they favor the liver, that the liver is like their go-to. They start there. But yeah, so they start inside and they eat their way out of the carcass. Particularly gross. So I mentioned earlier that hagfish don't have vertebra and they don't have jaws, but they do have a skull. Mm -hmm. And what they also do have are these two dental plates. They're inside of their mouth. So when you're just looking at them, when they're not actively feeding, you're not going to see their inner mouth bits. But when they're feeding, it's so bad. (laughs) It's the worst thing I've ever seen. These dental plates erupt from out of their mouth. And the dental plates are not the way that our jaws are. I would describe them as being folded in half hot dog style rather than hamburger style like ours. Okay. So these two dental plates are lined with two rows each of sharp teeth now, the teeth are made of keratin, which is the same material that our hair and nails and stuff like that are made out of. Yes. Um, they're not made of bone. They're made of keratin. Still nice and sharp, though. And so when the hagfish is feeding, the plates emerge from the mouth and expose the teeth. And then it uses a sort of rasping motion to tear apart the meat. Like from- a saw. Sort of, yeah. It's just like, 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 kind of scraping almost. Okay. Yeah, it's really gross. It's really horrible. <laughs> it's just so nasty. <laughs> but I mean, I gotta give him props. This seems to be working out pretty good for him. <laughs> but also, like, while they're you know eating these carcasses and stuff, like, say a predator comes along, they just can like burrow inside. Yeah, I mean, what else is gonna bother you in there? <laughs> So, yeah, they're pretty good scavengers, and they're they're like predators, too. You know, they'll actively hunt other things sometimes, too. But um, the scavenging thing is really kind of their signature move. It's really gross. <laughs> so we see these a lot in videos of whale falls, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, they're kind of the cleanup crew. Like they'll come along with like isopods and stuff like that mm-hmm. and just kind of make quick work of whatever has fallen to the bottom. Cool. Or even if something is just like sick and almost dead. Sometimes they'll kind of go for it. They'll okay. just be like, you seem like you're on your way out. I'm just going <laughs> to squeeze right. Yep. <laughs> if, if I could just real quick, excuse me. Thank you. This brings me to ingenuity for the hagfish because <laughs> I'm done talking about everything. Okay. If this is your first time listening to our show, ingenuity for us is behavioral adaptations that let the animal maybe solve problems or compete with either each other or with other animals, like just behaviors that it's doing with its body to do a good job of its things. So for ingenuity, I'm giving the hagfish a seven out of 10. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's like decent. I found some stuff that I was pretty impressed by. Okay. Mm-hmm. So knowing that they don't have backbones, mm-hmm. this explains something really, really interesting that hagfish can do. So since they are so flexible, they're in the no bone zone. <laughs> they are so incredibly flexible that what they can do is they can tie their body into a knot. Yeah. And then they can like slip out of the knot very easily. And they can do this at will, like knot themselves up and then untie yeah. it. Yeah. There are a couple of different ways that it uses this behavior to help them in different ways. So first of all, when the hagfish does expel all of that grody slime, the slime sticks to the hagfish too. Like they're also now covered in slime. Right. Gross. You don't want to do that. (laughs) They do still have gills, right? Like they still have to get that slime off of their body. So the hagfish will tie its body into a knot and then like drag its body through its knot. Like through the knot. And what that does is it scrapes the slime off of its skin. That's very clever of them, I think. They're like using their own body to like wipe themselves off. They do that when something grabs them too, don't they? Yeah. So um, it can help them like escape or Mm. it can also like say they're in a burrow or they're inside of a carcass or something like that, and something's trying to get them out, they can tie into a knot to kind of like stop themselves. Hmm. Something else that I thought was really, really cool is that they can use this knot to give themselves leverage to generate more force to rip meat off of a carcass. Like if they're trying to like pull a carcass apart or something and they need a little bit more like torque, (laughs) they can like tie themselves into a knot and then pull the knot through their body. And it helps them generate more force than if huh. they were just like pulling backwards. I thought that was really cool. They're like using <laughs> physics. The hagfish knows physics better than I do. The only, the only other thing I gave them for ingenuity is that when they're not feeding or hunting, they do hide. They like to burrow into sand or at the bottom or like they squeeze between rocks or something. Um, like to kind of lay low, which they're obviously really good at because they have no bones and they can get into anywhere. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I read that they can get into a space that is less than half of the width of their body. This brings us to aesthetics. Let's hear it. Let's talk aesthetics about the hagfish. <laughs> it's a whole situation. Um, I gave them a three. That's generous. Yeah. Um, I will say that at first glance, if they're in their just resting state with their mouths fully inside of their head, <laughs> they're not that bad. Okay. So it's really like it's the Cthulhu tentacles that get me when they're just like normal chilling out. Um, that's kind of nasty, like just the tentacles out of the face. It's not great for me personally. And then like the floppy skin also kind of drags the score down a little bit because it's just like, it doesn't look 
great. (laughs) (laughs) They just look kind of, I don't know, just the bagginess of the bagginess and the looseness and the paleness of the skin does not do it for me personally. But then, so other than that, it mostly looks pretty benign until it sticks its little mouth. Yeah, until it sticks its teeth out of its mouth. That's when all hell breaks loose. That's when it's like, okay, no, thank you. It loses, I think, all sort of credit I was willing to grant it in the aesthetics department at that point. (laughs) That's a no from me, dog. So to wrap up the hagfish, I wanted to point out that a 2011 study in the journal Aquatic Conservation, Marine and Freshwater Ecosystems, suggested that by IUCN criteria, nine of the 76 known species of hagfish are within threatened categories. All right. So factors that are thought to be contributing to their population declines are things like the degradation of marine habitats by human pollution and like industrial activity and things like that. We're doing a lot of bad things to the ocean, so that's affecting hagfish. They're also being caught as bycatch in commercial fishing mm-hmm. pretty frequently, so that isn't great for them either. They're also hunted for their skin. Really? Yeah, and it's not what I expected. <laughs> Their skin is used to make a textile called eel leather. Uh, this again. <laughs> Have we talked? We haven't talked about eel no, leather just before. The, the eel thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're not eels, but um, I don't know. I've never experienced eel leather. Is it used for clothing or? It's used for a lot of things. So the idea is that since um, the eel's skin is not going to be the sort of thing you're going to have a large sheet of. Yeah. Um, it's, it's stitched together out of multiple like strands, basically. Right. The idea is that it is very easy for you to make like a garment or something like that out of it without the seams showing because it's already stitched together anyway. So like the, ste- the seams won't be as obvious because it's all stitched together in strands. Okay. Weird that that's a high concern when using this material, but that's okay. I don't, you know, I really didn't look too far into like whether this is some sort of haute couture nonsense. <laughs> um, I just said haute couture. My French teacher is going to shoot me. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. I don't really have a lot to say about that. I, I've never felt eel leather. I don't know what it feels like. Uh, um, I know that hagfish are used to make it. So that's all the information I have about that. Okay. So being scavengers, they do play a really important role in the ocean's ecosystem as decomposers, which we've mm-hmm. talked about a few times. Basically, the cleanup crew for the seafloor so they keep things tidy and also when they're burrowing into the sand or just you know when they're feeding off of something at the seafloor they're kicking up a lot of sediment and it helps kind of cycle the sand and kick things up and keep things moving and it just does a lot of good things for the ocean floors environment um and the last thing i wanted to mention is that the third wednesday of each october which means that as of this going up will be one week from today is Hagfish Day. Really? Yeah. All right. There's a Hagfish Day, and it's the third Wednesday of each October. So I figured this works pretty well for this episode going up now, because that gives you plenty of time to prepare all of your Hagfish festivities. Maybe you're going to get a slime bucket together, and maybe... Yeah, make a model Hagfish. That definitely won't be mistaken for anything else. (laughs) 
<laughs> I will tell you that you could probably make a model hagfish just by like getting some like pantyhose and like cutting one of the legs off and then maybe putting like a balled up sock down in the bottom of one of them and then there you go you've got a hagfish okay don't put anything inside of it so it's all like loose and baggy and gross that's the hagfish thanks honey thank you for listening well darling uh you're up yeah it was my turn to pick an animal and the animal i've chosen for this week is the secretary bird i'm so excited this is such a wonderful bird it's fantastic <laughs> scientific name sagittarius serpentarius what yes. i'm sorry can you say that fluidly for me please sagittarius serpentarius I love that. That is <laughs> probably the coolest scientific name that we've had on the show yet. Yeah. And I'll talk a little bit more about where it comes from. But first, the species was submitted by the Jungle Gym Queen. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll be getting my information from Animal Diversity Web, found at animaldiversity.org, as well as nationalgeographic.com. So, let's talk about what this bird looks like for a bit. There's so much to say about it. Yes. Um, <laughs> they look like a large raptor with very long legs. Their body feathers are white and gray with black accents. They have long, rigid tail feathers. And they have feathers that go down their legs to their knees. And it makes it look like they're wearing shorts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they sure do. Yes. They have pointy hooked beaks, which is common for birds of prey. Their face is red and orange, or it ranges from red to orange. They have black feathers that jet off the back of their heads. Like an explosion. <laughs> right. It just It's like they got a great blowout, like just yesterday. It's very stylish. It's so good. So that's what they look like. I do recommend folks doing a quick Google of what they look like, though. My words do not do them justice, I think. It's so much more powerful. Yep. <laughs> so we'll talk about their name a little bit. So the scientific name, so Sagittarius means bowman and is associated to astrology. Oh, so like like an archer. Right. Okay. A man with a bow. That's yes. what you mean by a bowman. Yes. Okay. And uh, Serpentarius is interest in snakes. <laughs> oh, okay. I think uh, I know where we're going with this. Um, another way to interpret that is the archer of snakes. Archer of snakes? Yes. That's so cool. <laughs> no, I want to clarify, not an archer that instead of arrows shoots snakes. Well, never but... <laughs> mind. It's less cool. <laughs> but an archer who shoots snakes with their arrows. One thought is that the feathers coming off the back of the head looks like arrows in a quiver. Okay, I see it now. Yeah. I'm having so many ideas for my next D&D character. <laughs> uh, their common name, Secretary Bird, the head feathers look like quills that old-timey secretaries put behind their ears, as well as like a like a, an overcoat kind of look with the, the coloration of their feathers. I guess that is a very dated aesthetic yes. because I cannot, I have nothing in my brain for this. Yeah, this name I think comes from... Dutch colonists. Okay. Yes, to give you an idea of time frame. Okay. These animals are from Africa, by the way. All right. I, I know what the bird looks like. Yes. But, but I feel like the <laughs> I feel like the human aesthetic that you're describing is one that I have no frame of reference for. Yeah, I just, just said old timey. That's all I got. <laughs> I'm 25 years old. <laughs> I don't know what. You could be 250 years old. I... And this would still be dated. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what Dutch secretaries looked like in the 1700s sorry talk about how big they are just out of curiosity what would you think like how big do you think they are four feet tall very good actually <laughs> so they stand around 0.9 to 1.2 meters tall or three to four feet tall nice Ooh. 
Oof, yes. Yeah. That's what I like to hear. And they weigh 2.3 to 4.27 kilograms, or about 5 to 9 pounds. That's so light yeah. for them being so big. I yep. know I know. I say this every time we talk about bird sizes. Especially flighted birds. This is a flighted bird. Yes. Oh, <laughs> okay. With those long legs, yeah. I wouldn't have thought that yeah. they would fly. It's a bit interesting, actually. I don't know why I would say that. I know I live in Florida. <laughs> we have so many long flying birds and I was just like, "Oh, nope, it's not long." As, not as many flamingos as you might think though. No. Down south they they have yeah. them but not not up here. More specifically for their location, they're found throughout Africa south of the Sahara, except the extreme deserts of the Namib coast and the forested region around the equator in western Africa. They like semi-deserts and lightly wooded areas. In grasslands, they like to be where the grass doesn't obstruct their view. Mm. Not too tall of vegetation. Okay. All right. Jeez. That's absurdly specific. <laughs> they don't want to be upstaged. <laughs> they just want everybody to see their nails that they just got done. They belong to the taxonomic family Sagittaridae, which it is the sole species of. <gasps> the spotlight. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Uh, I want to talk about what they're kind of related to evolutionarily. So if you go one step higher than family, their order they belong to is the Accipitriformes, which contains most of the diurnal birds of prey. So this includes hawks and eagles, but not falcons. And actually the osprey is a member of this order. Mm, swoop. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I can see that in the face. Yeah, with the beak shape, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see it yeah. now. Yep, good for tearing up meat. So, kind of digging right into our categories, starting with effectiveness, give me an 8 out of 10. It's pretty good. So, first and foremost, strong, accurate kicks. Yeah, buddy. So that's what these legs are for. They're used to kick. They <laughs> kick real yes, good. to do, um, I would say, a D8 of bludgeoning damage. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be some piercing in there, too, right? It's all bludgeoning. Oh, gosh. Just yep. What are they using this kick for? Uh, to attack things. Yeah, I know, but like, are they attacking like their prey or is this like to protect themselves mostly prey and these are prey that they would be smart to first disable before eating ah <laughs> <laughs> so, i think that's this is where their interest in snakes yes, comes in yes so this is something they're kind of famed for when they meet a snake they will go for their head like just behind the head it's a great idea to either kill them or stun them that's a great idea yes um if you're a secretary bird if you're a human do not do this yeah don't do that if you are a secretary bird and you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> you are in the clear. You are fine. You can actually find some videos of them doing this. Uh, all the ones I found, though, were of like rubber fake snakes that are like on a string that someone is teasing them with. What? <laughs> Which... That's so mean. <laughs> so they'll still go for it. The kick, kick, kick. <laughs> <laughs> Those instincts are no joke, man. Yeah. Uh, they prefer to walk, but can fly. And they can fly just like any other big bird, basically. Well, the thing is, you can't really like fly with like swagger so <laughs> yeah you can't like <laughs> flaunt it while you're flying exactly you can't they don't call it cat fly <laughs> they are one of only two birds of prey that hunt on the ground the other is the caracara here are the kind of prey they go after mostly arthropods so huh. grasshoppers beetles and spiders and small mammals like mice rats hedgehogs hedgehogs yep but they're pointy yeah <laughs> <laughs> not on the under part, though. Uh, that, that's a soccer ball you do not want to kick, though. <laughs> so you'll actually, if you can find videos of them eating small mammals and such. Uh, if they're small enough, they're just going to swallow them whole. 
Go for it. It's a lot like how you see gulls and that kind of thing. We'll do like. <laughs> Can I get that noise one more time? No. You only get one. So I kind of like we talked about, they are well known for killing and eating snakes, but it's not actually very often that they do that. Huh. Yeah. It's just so cool when they do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the snakes they do eat, however, are often adders, cobras, and other venomous species. That's very impressive. Yes. That's impressive enough that like I'll give them credit <laughs> where credit is due. Yep. <laughs> yep. So that wraps up effectiveness for me. That's Conti- pretty good. Continuing on to ingenuity, I'm giving a 7 out of 10. Okay. It's okay. My first category is good, question mark, parents. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) So they will build large nests on the top of acacia trees and other trees like that. So acacia trees, by the way, are the probably the tree you are imagining when you think of like a grass plain in Africa. Okay. Yeah. The big sprawly sort of very broad. Yeah. Usually standing alone, like not having a lot of other trees near it mm-hmm, yeah. but the limbs like really splay out yeah they're and they're very thorny like the, the branches are very thorny okay yep the mental picture has been painted <laughs> so they'll build these big nests and they're big enough so that two of the adult birds can be in there with their chicks at any given time and so they're pretty big um, they lay two to three eggs both parents will take turns incubating but is mostly done by the female okay there was an attempt <laughs> So here's where my uh, where I question their parenting, <laughs> and we've actually seen this before in a different large bird. Oh. When there are three young, the smallest one usually dies from starvation. Oh, yes. okay. <laughs> this this brings me back to the shoe bill. Yes. Okay. Yes. So I think it's not necessarily because the parents refuse to feed them. It's just the two larger chicks. They, they just can't compete against them. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. It's the runt, right? Yeah. Like it's just not gonna, but the parent isn't helping either. Right. <laughs> right. It's like, here, just figure it out. Bye. <laughs> you guys sort this out amongst yourselves. <laughs> You're mature enough for this, <laughs> but the rest of it's pretty interesting. So they provide a, a very, Impressive amount of parental care going forward, especially for birds. Their parental care is constant. For the first six weeks, the young are fed regurgitated food, unlike many other birds. So the parents will go out and hunt something and then regurgitate that for the chicks. Uh, Then they start bringing larger prey for the young to eat directly. Uh, The parents will teach them to hunt after they fledge and leave the nest. Hmm. And will even temporarily share their territory after they're independent. Really? But eventually they will chase them off. Okay. It's a lot. It's a slow burn. They're yeah. like giving them lots of time. Yeah. And they roost in these trees, by the way, at night. Do they all sleep together in a big cuddle puddle? I don't know about cuddle puddle. <laughs> My other ingenuity thing is their feathers, actually, and how they use them. They use them as distractors. What? We talked about this with, I think, the pigeon. Distractors? So, um... So imagine this big long-legged bird is trying to kick a big snake. Mm-hmm. One of the things it's doing is splaying out its wings and also bobbing its head. Oh, oh okay. I know. Yes. I remember what you're talking about now. Yes. How the pigeon will like... Splay out its tail feathers, I think, is what it, it was. It wasn't like doing anything yeah. with the tail feathers, but that like the, the fact that the tail feathers were brightly contrasting yeah. were like a distraction. So all these feathers and such are meant to be distractors to something like a snake that will try to strike. Sure. So that if it is close enough to strike it just gets like a mouthful of feathers mm, and this is like kind of a this is a real skinny bird too mm-hmm. so i imagine it's probably pretty hard to 
pinpoint exactly which part <laughs> of it is bird and which yeah. part of it is just fluffy feathers. <laughs> so it's very interesting to see. Um, again, I recommend looking at a video of them kicking a snake or a fake snake like I saw. I feel like it's kind of goofy looking. <laughs> it's effective. I guess. <laughs> so moving on to aesthetics. Um, I think we had different animals at the extremes of this category. Yeah. <laughs> we had to even it out. <laughs> I'm going to give a full 10 out of 10 on aesthetics. They're beautiful. They're amazing. Yep. Strong. Fierce. Beautiful. <laughs> Legs for days. <laughs> Tell me about the eyes. They have gorgeous eyelashes. Oh, they're so good. They're so they're long and they're full and yep. luscious. And they're actually just adapted uh, feathers, actually. What? Yep. They have feathers growing out of their eyelids. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a little bit gross, but but they look like like our eyelashes. I think they do. Oh my gosh! And they're so good, and they're so like curly. Yeah. So this is a good time to mention what made me think of this animal. In the Netflix animated TV show, Agretzico, one of the main characters, I would say, is a secretary bird. And she is actually a secretary to <laughs> uh, a company CEO. Yeah. She's a very high up businesswoman. Yes. Um, Boss. Lady. Woman. <laughs> Boss babe. There we are. Is what she is. You can still get that alliteration. Yeah. <laughs> um, she's a very powerful character. She's yes. very good and very great. And um, she's best friends with a gorilla. Yeah. It's, we just like, we binge. <laughs> we, yeah. We recently watched the latest season. I think that last time we mentioned a Gretzico, I had not watched any of it yet. When I, I mentioned it, when I was talking about the Fennec Fox. Oh, and Agretzico's friend is a fennec fox, yeah. and so I mentioned it then, but I had not watched the show yet, and <laughs> now I've watched the whole thing. It's good. <laughs> yeah, it's really cute. Season three has me kind of, mm, but... <laughs> yeah, but anyway, uh, some last final thoughts. Their conservation status is vulnerable, population decreasing no. with the IUCN. You do not love to hear it. I know. And this is mostly due to, of course, human activities and habitat encroachment, because <sighs> uh, they are often found near agricultural sites okay? Uh, because the things they hunt are attracted to agricultural products. That tracks, yeah. As well as other prey. So, for example, snakes are attracted to the same uh, rodents and such. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. So it's a two-for-one deal for the secretary bird. Yeah. They're like, ooh, y'all yeah. got, got spiders over here? Y'all yeah. got things that snakes eat over here? So that's one of the positive things that they provide, I guess, for humans is that they'll eat a lot of things that are considered vermin pest control baby yep. keep them around mm -hmm. be nice to them it's a beautiful bird they're so good yep. but they they look so like regal and they have such a such a gorgeous like graceful elegant look to them and then they just kick their feet right out in front of them <laughs> it looks so silly it's strong <laughs> i know it's very strong it also looks very hilarious <laughs> i love them yeah they're great good bird thank you you're welcome i did not make it what do you mean you didn't make it make the bird well i did <laughs> <laughs> well fine i take it back then <laughs> i was gonna compliment your bird but i guess you didn't want the compliment so i take it back <laughs> doesn't need me to defend it <laughs> i'm pretty sure that every time you have ever complimented my animal i've always just been like yes thank you yes <laughs> that was all me 100 percent. that's all for this week 
possibly for the rest of the weeks in 2020, if we can squeeze one more episode in before we are newborning, then <laughs> we will. With the baby. With the baby. <laughs> um, you can tell which Netflix shows we've been binging recently. We're just going to have to keep y'all posted um, yeah. on our activities for this year. Um, please do not worry. I have pre-recorded guest episodes enough to get us through the end of the year still putting out new content. So um, you don't have anything to worry about there. We've got you covered. Uh, Ellen's got you covered. <laughs> I didn't do anything. Yeah, this could be the last time you hear Christian's voice for 2020. Maybe forever. Who knows? What? No. We haven't gotten to the end of 2020 yet. You're under contract. <laughs> it's called marriage. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we may be having a baby before the next episode goes out. We'll just have to keep you posted on that. Sorry in advance <laughs> if this is the last time you hear from Christian this year. But stay tuned because the guest episodes I have recorded for y'all are so good. <laughs> they're, they're always good. And I just, I'm really excited for y'all to hear the new ones because they're really, really great. So if you want to come hang out with us and like keep tabs on what we're up to and just kind of be our buddies we're on social media we're on facebook twitter and instagram you can just search the title of the show and that'll get you there if you have an animal species that you want to hear us talk about you can submit those to us either on social media or i am going to begin giving the caveat that if you send it to my email i am so much more likely to <laughs> i am so 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 much more likely to um, see it and follow through with it because just social media is very messy sometimes. And um, yeah, I would prefer that you send it to us via email at this point because of how much social media can be. Um, but send it to me on email. And that email address is ellen at just the zoo of us com. And lastly, I would like to thank Louis Zong, who has been so kind as to allow us to use his track Adventuring off of his album B-Sides that we've been using for a long time and we love it and we're very thankful for it. Yes, thank you. Yeah. And we're also very thankful for y'all who have been listening. If you're just now joining us and you're sad because now <laughs> there's uh, you, you might not be hearing a lot from us through the end of the year, then we have a massive backlog. <laughs> <laughs> there are many, many, many hours of content for you to work back through. So feel free to check those out as well. You do not have to go in order. I promise. Skip around. Listen to an animal that you're interested in. Mm -hmm. Do whatever you want. I'm not your mom. I can't tell you what order to listen to the show in. Just thanks for sticking around and thanks for being here. Thanks, y'all. We'll, and we'll talk to y'all later. Bye. Uh, bye. Bye.